Thanks, Marika. All right, we can start filming. <laughs> well, welcome to the final in our series, Spring Into Action. You know, we've, we've spent a couple of months where we've been looking at what it means to be active in sharing our faith as commanded by the Apostle Paul. And this is the last in the series. But just before I dig into this final message, let's have a look at our coffee drinking friend and his mate, Bob. Let's see how they've been going. There goes Bob. His turn to buy the donuts. And then he's coming over here for coffee. I look forward to it. He's my bro. <laughs> I went to church with him last Sunday. And the, the roof didn't cave in. It was uh, interesting. Nice people. Some good music. Although a bit repetitious, if you know what I mean. And the pastor said some good stuff. Got me thinking a bit. Bob wants me to go again. I'm trying to decide. Traveled to Mexico a few years ago. Got me one of those Spanish-English dictionaries to help me communicate. You know, look up those foreign words to help you out of a tight spot, like a baño for bathroom, that sort of thing. <laughs> sort of felt like I needed one of those on Sunday. Well, not Spanish-English, but sort of English-Christian, if you know what I mean. I mean, I understood the words okay, but I, I don't think I got the right meanings. They were having these uh, testimonies, but nobody was on trial, not like, like in a courtroom or anything. And then uh, one guy said that he was on fire for the Lord. That was associated fire with the other side, you know. And another one was praying for somebody to be saved. I'm not sure from what. He, he didn't indicate what kind of danger the guy was in. And then it was a, a little disturbing when they were singing this song about being washed in the blood. I don't think I'm up for that. But I'm, I'm sure it all makes sense if you, if you understand the jargon. So, uh, Bob's coming over. He said he wanted to explain some of that to me. Oh, before he gets here, I, I better use the little boy's room at the Albano. <laughs> you help yourself to a, another cup of joe. Uh, fantastic. It's interesting saying about the, the church jargon, isn't it? You know, um, and this is one of the reasons that it is important to run some services that are geared up for unchurched people. And that's, of course, what we're doing. So these services um, hopefully are highly accessible to someone who's not used to church. Um, the Willow Creek movement would actually say uh, that, you know, every church should be running some service that's geared up for people who don't normally do church. I totally agree with that. The jargon's a funny one. It reminds me of one time we had... Um, uh, friends that were new to church come along. Actually, they weren't my friends. They just, I think, I'm trying to remember who had invited them. But anyway, they were new to church. And my friend Steve Wood was leading communion. And we were a pretty contemporary church. In fact, we met in a pub. It was a chapel part of the pub, but it was still the pub. And um, Steve says as part of communion, okay, now we're going to, uh, we're going to eat 
of the bread and we're going to drink the blood. And this girl, because I see her, she was sitting fairly close to me, she just about threw up. She's like, what? Because <laughs> she thought we were going to drink blood. And that's, that's seriously. And she was so relieved when she realised it was grape juice. <laughs> but you see, it's just one of those things because they never did church. They weren't used to it. And so it's good to do services where we're trying to set things up for people who are not used to the church environment. Let me start today uh, with a story uh, about one of the great Aussie evangelists. We have a number in our history. This chap is um, ultimately got the name Mr. Eternity, Arthur Stace. And uh, what I want to suggest here is that just introduce this story. This is probably a time where his fame was perhaps at its peak. Let's have a look at the Harbour Bridge. We'll have a look at that other picture later in the story. So you may remember this, the beginning of the new millennium. Um, I lived in Sydney at the time. We'd had the New Year celebrations, all the fireworks and stuff took off at 12 midnight and then when everything went dark, about 30 minutes after midnight, then, then they put up eternity. And that was influenced by Arthur Stace who wrote that word around the streets of Sydney over half a million times as one of his many approaches to sharing the gospel. Well, let me tell you a little bit about his story. Um, look, Arthur was not the sort of person you'd ever expect to become an evangelist. In fact, far from it. Uh, he had, uh, his life was that of a petty criminal. Uh, he was addicted to drinking metho. He slept rough. His life was a terrible mess for about half of his years on planet Earth. And then in 1930, Great Depression... Food is scarce, work is scarce. One of his criminal friends said, why don't we go along to St Barnabas? They'll give you a couple of, hot, you know, a couple of rock cakes and a hot cup of tea. Now, you've got to listen to some guy preach for a bit, but, you know, it's some free food. So he said, yeah, well, I'm up for that. So in he went and he, he looked around the, the church, St Barnabas Church, and he, he, there was a lot of people there, most of them like him. Most of them are people who look like they've been sleeping rough. And then he, he looked across at about six very smartly dressed gentlemen. And he says to his mate, who are those lot with the suits? And he said, well, I guess they'd be the Christians. <laughs> and he said, well, look at them and look at us. I want what they've got. And that night he attentively listened to the preacher. The preacher was actually um, Anglican Archdeacon Bob Hammond, great evangelist. Bob shares the gospel of Jesus Christ. Arthur Stace had never heard that he could be forgiven. He used to refer to himself as a bad man. He knew he wasn't a good person. As he heard that message, he couldn't believe that the message included someone like him could be completely forgiven. That night, after the church service, he went down to Victoria Park and under one of the big fig trees, the fig trees are still there, I've prayed under myself, under that big fig tree he knelt down and he said something along the lines of, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And as he continued to pray, the Holy Spirit indeed not only forgave him but transformed his heart. He was born again by the Spirit of God. Well, um, everything changed. He, he was able to secure work. He got off drinking metho. He started to serve in that church, St Barnabas, that very service where he'd got saved. He got involved in all manner of evangelistic activity. One of the things he, he did a lot of work in was self-help hotel. Great ministry that they'd set up, a converted factory, 
which was aimed at blokes who were out of work, sleeping rough, and they could go to that hotel, get some food, get a decent bed for a time, and they had all the kind of facilities so they could shave, trim their hair, trim their beards, and get a second-hand suit, smarten themselves up, and then try and get a job. And it worked for so many of the blokes. And in the process of all that, they also heard about Jesus Christ. One of the other things that he was heavily involved in is uh, something that they used to do on the corner of Bathurst Street where it met with George Street. It was kind of an open-air evangelistic event. And for 20 years, Arthur was heavily involved in this where he would share his testimony publicly. It's not kind of like people would hear some music, they'd hear some testimonies, they'd hear the gospel. People would gather around this street corner. He did that for a long time. Great communicator of the gospel and he had such a powerful testimony. After a couple of years of salvation, he'd got a, got a job, actually, at Burton Street Baptist Tabernacle. He was the janitor there, and he was at a service one night. And uh, a great Baptist evangelist of the time, John Ridley, was preaching. From Isaiah 57, 15, he said this, quoting for this verse, For thus says the high and lofty one, who inhabits eternity, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in a high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble, to revive the heart of the contrite ones. And then he went on about this word eternity, went on and on about the word eternity. Eternity, eternity. I wish that I could sound or shout that word to everyone in the streets of Sydney. Well, that night, Arthur, despite being almost illiterate, (laughs) Arthur was highly attentive to sermons. And that night as he was engaged in that sermon, he found that the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said something like this, I want you to write that word on the streets of Sydney. He walked out after the church service, happened to have chalk in his pocket, pulled out a piece of chalk and he wrote the word eternity in that beautiful copper plate writing. He couldn't believe it. He knew it must be of God because, one, he said, if someone had offered to give me £100 to spell the word eternity, I I wouldn't have been able to do it. To actually write it so neatly and to spell it right, he knew that God must be in this. Well, there's an image of him writing the word. It's great, isn't it? That's uh, that's him in his latter years. You know, um, (laughs) he wrote that word about, well, it's estimated over half a million times around the streets. But his process was this. He'd get up at four in the morning, he'd have his hour in prayer, And then he'd spend an hour writing that word around the streets of Sydney. And the powerful thing about this is it became an evangelistic talking point. So heaps of Christians were using it. And they'd use it because it was mysterious. For 25 years, no one knew who was doing it. Seriously. Um, And Christians would say, what do you think about eternity? Do you reckon there is life after death? what, What do you think about eternity? Do you think heaven's a real place? If heaven's real, I wonder how we get there. It became a talking point. Very, very useful evangelistic tool. Well, it's um, actually uh, this month is a 90-year anniversary of um, when Mr. Stace started to write that word eternity all over the streets. This month is a 90-year anniversary. They're projecting a new documentary. Actually, one of my friends is a keynote speaker on it. And um, it's been projected up in buildings where he used to write and people are sitting out in the chairs, you know, as I speak, doing this sort of thing in Sydney to commemorate what God did through this man's life. Friends, let me emphasise this concept of talking points, a conversation starter, because I believe it's key. 
It's one of the strategies that actually is important when sharing the gospel. I had a friend in my workplace, Mark Williams. He was very good at it. I can still remember some of his conversation starters. Mark would come up to me you know, at work and say, you know, I've just been reflecting on planet Earth. You know, if it, if it was shifted just a few degrees either way, we'd either freeze or fry. Seems weird to me that could happen by chance. I reckon there's an intelligence behind the creation of planet Earth. And he'd just leave it there. You know, he'd just drop in little statements like that. And, um, well, eventually I came, became a Christian, but it took a lot of those little openers that he used to do. Today I'm going to talk about this topic of marketplace mission. Marketplace mission. Part eight, the final in the series. I'm going to talk about the Christian in the workaday environment. And uh, I guess for me, you know, um, for anyone who's working full time, um, you're you're in that workplace a lot. Whether it's a 38.5 hour week, or whether you know you're in you're doing some overtime, or you're in management, you're working a lot more hours. It might be 50 hours or so. But you think about it, all those hours in the workplace. Just imagine if the workplace became a mission field. See, it was for Mark, that guy I was telling you about. He saw the workplace as a mission field. Um, I'm going to pick a passage here which might surprise you, but it's got a lot of principles in here, I think, about the workaday environment. Let me read you the whole passage. Colossians 3.22. It says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you to curry their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrong, and there's no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. Pray that I might proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to answer everyone. Now, I know in one sense you think, well, it mentions slaves in there, though, and masters. I mean, that doesn't relate to us today. Well, you've got to remember, Paul is just speaking into the first century. And in the Roman Empire at the time, slavery was common. Often businesses worked because, you know, people bought some slaves. It might have a mixture of slaves and employees. I'm going to quote here from D. Guthrie. He's the chief editor of the New Bible Commentary. It was one of our textbooks when I was at Bible college. He says this about the passage. He, Paul, gives a series of practical advice which would be as relevant for employees today as slaves then. In other words, he sees it as directly speaking in to the workaday environment for us today. So let's briefly unpack it. Colossians 3.22. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eyes on you to win their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. You notice there it mentions this idea of um, working in such a way that it's not just when the boss knows what you're doing. You're actually going to commit properly to your workload, whether... People know what you're doing or not. You notice it says sincerity of heart. The heart often has to do with attitude in the Bible. Can I suggest this? Number one, right attitude will be key. Right attitude in the workaday environment. 
You know, you're someone who grumbles a lot in the workplace or perhaps criticises the boss or perhaps there's a lack of integrity at times in your practice. Well, to be an effective witness, I think right attitude goes a long way because a lot of people in the workplace have a terrible attitude. You're being a witness to live that out. Now, I know there might be some of you here today, you're saying, yeah, but Lee, um, if you knew my work environment, you wouldn't say that. It's toxic. No one could have a good attitude in my work environment. Okay, look, I think sometimes that can be the case. And if that is the case, I've had a couple of ladies actually in the last year or so at the church actually talk with me about that. And I said, well, Lord, well, you know, why don't we pray to the Lord and ask him to open the door for another workplace? That happened on both occasions. God opened another door where they can exhibit that right attitude. But, you know, I think this is one of the keys. Let's move on. 3.23 says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Very uh, functional words there, isn't it? Do, work, working, serving. It's all about your actions. Can I suggest number two? Right actions is key. Number two, right actions. You know, a fair day's work, proper hours, proper energy, you know, that we're not slacking off. We're not leaving someone else to do aspects of what we should be doing. But we're being a good witness with our actions. I still remember one of my friends, um, Jim, uh, he, he got a job actually at an airport, this little airport, and it was refuelling planes. And he had a great attitude at work. He loved it, absolutely loved it. He took one of my guitar amps and he told me in, in a week, typically he'd be playing the guitar for about 20 hours and he had a great attitude towards the workplace, but I did wonder about his actions at times. <laughs> uh, let's have a look at another passage. It says here in Colossians 3.25, anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong and there's no favouritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Mm. No favouritism. You see, God, of course, looks upon the master or the slave equally. They're all people. But us, it raises a question about doing wrong in the workplace. Do we, I don't know, do we do wrong to other employees? Perhaps with our gossip? Yeah, as a manager, if you're in management, how do you treat your staff? Are you treating them at, uh, you know, in a way that's fair and reasonable? Or um, do you rake them over the coals when they're not meeting expectations? Uh, do you put them down in front of other staff members? I know um, Marika's husband, Martin, um, he works next door and he said for one of the bosses over there for years he was just absolutely terrible. He did exactly the things I'm talking about. I know sometimes you've got to dismiss someone. They're not measuring up. I get that. But whether an employee or whether a manager, really what the passage is saying is, you know, we need to be endeavour to be in good relationship with people. I remember my wife worked at a place in England called Argos. It was a part-time, she worked there. It was an electronics type of place where they sold all sorts of electronic stuff. And uh, they got a new boss. And this guy was just, uh, you know, he was very critical of the staff all the time. They just kept leaving. And one day Pamela said to him, you know, you would get so much more out of the staff if you drew attention to the positive things they're doing, the things they're doing right. 
He didn't look like he received that very well, but he mentioned it to his wife. And his wife knew he was pretty stressed because he kept losing his staff. And his wife said to him, you need to listen to that employee, Pamela. <laughs> so he actually did. And he started to be affirming of the staff. And you've, you've guessed it, he got a lot better work out of them. And it was a much more friendly, relational environment. Number three, right relationships are key. Right relationships. Now, I realise that I've shared those three things. There might be a few of you here, you're thinking to yourself, yeah, well, Lee, um, it's pretty challenging stuff. I mean, I think, I'm, I think I've blown my witness in the workplace at times. And uh, what I'd say about that immediately is we've got to remember God's grace. Yes, there might be times when you fail. There might be times you're not measuring up. But there's also God's grace. Never stop being a witness. Never stop talking about Jesus just because you feel you failed at times. I don't think anyone would have failed any worse than I have, you know, in the workplace. I remember as a new Christian, been saved for about six months, that same work environment that I was talking about where Mark was sharing the gospel with me. We got this new guy. His name was Andrew. Everyone say Andrew. Andrew. No, I didn't like him. No, I thought he was, I just think he was a bit arrogant. He was quite demeaning in how he would speak to people. Anyway, um, one day in the kind of the lunch break period, the boss was out and uh, he was on one of these reclining chairs sort of leaning up with his feet on the boss's table, which he shouldn't have really been there. And I just walked past his seat and gave it a bit of a tug. And uh, with his feet up like this, he just went straight down, butt on the floor. I thought it was funny. I was laughing. The other blokes in the office were laughing. He wasn't laughing at all. He kind of lunged at me, grabbed me in a headlock, dragged me down on the floor, and I'm, I'm, I'm getting real angry. I'm just thinking, what is wrong with this guy? Can't take a joke. You know, and so we're, we're like wrestling on the floor. I managed to get out of his headlock, and we're kind of standing up wrestling for a moment, and then I kind of did this judo trip thing that I knew how to do, got him on the floor, got him in a headlock, applied the pressure and thought, how do you like it, mate? You know? <laughs> The guys were just killing themselves laughing. They thought it was such good entertainment. You know, anyway, they broke us up and we, we both apologised to each other. But I just thought to myself, oh, my goodness, I have blown my Christian witness. Imagine me sitting down next to him um, saying something like this. Andrew, let me tell you about the love of Jesus. <laughs> Uh, I prayed for that guy a lot over the, next, uh, over the next few weeks. And this is where the grace of God comes in. Mark and I had given Andrew like gospel tracts and little John's gospels and things like that. And, uh, you know, I couldn't believe it. It's about two, three weeks later. Here he is at work. He's reading the John's gospel. And then again, he was reading it again. And suddenly we started to have spiritual conversations. And this guy just opened right up. We had some fantastic conversations. Uh, he was only there for about another three months. But there was a heap of gospel sharing, spiritual sharing over that period. So look, if you're having trouble witnessing to someone, just job them. It'll all sort out. <laughs> not really, not really. But isn't God gracious? And so... Any failing that you think you've done in the workplace, just, in a sense, get back onto the horse. Keep trying to be a Christian witness. Let me just uh, wrap this up with the two last short pericopes. Colossians 2.4, it says, Devote yourself to prayer, 
being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. Pray that I might proclaim it clearly as I should. So here Paul is emphasising a lot of prayer as he's emphasising the gospel as well. And I want to suggest that that combination is powerful. But I want to suggest it's beyond... Look, the guys um, in my friend Mark's home group, they definitely used to pray for me regularly. You know, how are your conversations going with Lee this week? You know, I'm not saved at that point. So they did that a lot. But I want to suggest there's another level of prayer too, where you actually pray in the very environment where you're working or the school where you're at. Number four, on-site prayer. On-site prayer. Prayer. Now, what do I mean by it? Um, well, I remember Pamela, um, she was on a show called Children's Hospital. So back when we were in Sydney, she was doing some acting. So she was Nurse Paula on that show. And so she'd be down to the ABC studios for uh, four days a week. Did that for about four months. Early on, she discovered there were a few Christians there. And so um, she said, well, why don't we pray together? Start the week, Monday mornings, we'll gather for prayer. So i Several of the actors did, one of the directors as well, and they would gather for prayer. And they watched the atmosphere change. One of the distinct things about it was the producer of the show, who was not a believer, he said, oh, man, with all these jolly Christians on the set, I guess I'm going to have to take all the blasphemy out of the script, which he did. You know, it's um, praying in the actual workaday environment, I, I believe, is an important thing. You know, it's mentioned in that passage too, it says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. There's something about being watchful. And when you're praying in the actual environment, you become, I think, more watchful, more alert. And I remember one occasion there's a chap who was going in for a fairly major operation. And I kind of, I remember sitting on the staircase with him. You could tell he was anxious. So he chatted a lot about it. I said, can I pray for you about it? And he said, yeah, that'd be good. Prayed with him. And then in the journey of after praying, had quite a chat with him about spiritual things. It was like a real gospel sharing opportunity. Never shared the gospel with him before. It was a great little opportunity. Pivotal moments are often when there's a transition going on in someone's life. Having kids for the first time. Moving house. Major operation. All those transitional sort of moments in people's lives, they often open up. Well, I didn't know how much impact it had on him, but uh, later that year I was singing at uh, one of my friend's church. It was a gospel outreach service. Couldn't believe it. In he walked with his wife. Here he is coming into church. And I thought, this is awesome. (laughs) Let me just mention one more. I I started in my workaday place where we had kind of set times for morning tea and lunch break. Lunch was 30 minutes and morning tea was 15 and... I remember taking about half of those where I'd just go and pray. So rather than just hanging out with the other people, I'd just go off and pray somewhere in the workaday environment. And I remember one of the occasions I did this, I'd gone outside, because actually the grounds were quite nice. I'm surprised people didn't go out there more often. One of the grounds is a little table there, and I'm sitting down, and I have my New Testament with me, eating a bit of lunch and praying. And one of the girls from the office, her name is Joe. she just stuck her head out the door and I um, and, uh, thought, oh, no, she's probably going to come over here and interrupt my prayer time. And then she started wandering over and I thought, and then as she's wandering, I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, that's what you're here for, bro. 
<laughs> so she, she says, oh, do you mind if I sit down? And I said, yeah, sure, that's fine. And so we got talking and almost straight away we got onto spiritual things. She had no idea. I hadn't always been a Christian, didn't realise I got saved, actually, whilst I was in that work environment. So I shared my testimony with her. Then we got talking a little bit further and she wanted to kind of, kind of didn't get what Christians believe, you know, uh, not that she used the term gospel, but that's what she was asking. Well, what is the gospel? And so at that point, I remember I used to carry these with me regularly, still do quite often, pulled out one of these, a little orange Bridge to Life track, and I just carefully took her through it. I saw her eyes light up when she saw it, actually, which I was interested in. But anyway, as um, I go through that gospel tract with her, at the end, I did ask her, did she want to invite Jesus into her life there and then? She didn't at that point, but she said, can I keep that little booklet? And I said, sure, that'll be five bucks. And, uh, <laughs> not really. But, yeah, she was keen to have it. What am I saying? Would, would have that moment have happened if I hadn't have been praying on sites? One more passage. Colossians 5. Sorry, Colossians 4, 5 through 6. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so you may know how to answer every one. Wow. Uh, what does it mean by outsiders? Well, the CV version simply uses the word unbelievers, those who don't yet know Jesus. It's all about conversation, this one, isn't it? Let your conversation be full of grace, seasoned with salt. I wonder what that means. Well, grace in the Bible is unmerited favour, being given that which we don't deserve. You know, God gives us grace. We're forgiven. We don't deserve forgiveness, but we're given it. If we're going to exhibit grace in our words, we're going to be offering people unmerited favour in the workplace, saying positive, affirming things to them. You know, dare I say it? Be nice. Be nice to people. Be nice. Makes a difference, friends. Seriously. But it's not denying that we're going to share the gospel. It says also let your conversation be seasoned with salt. Salt has a strong flavour. And, of course, salt, if you've put it on an infection, a wound, it stings. Well, okay, the word of God sometimes stings. But we mix it up. We've got the grace and we've got the salt. The saltiness and the grace are both there in our conversation. Can I suggest this? Number five, on-site persuasion. On-site persuasion. Yeah. We will try and persuade people with using gracious and salty words. I had a mate called Ted in the workplace and he had a foul mouth and a lot of dirty jokes. Um, but I sensed his heart wasn't that far from the kingdom. We got in some great conversations and there was one time we were in a section of um, the complex where we were just, just the two of us working. And so I remember saying to him because we'd had this amazing gospel conversation. The whole gospel was shared with him. And I said, well, you know, we could, um, we could pray a prayer right now where you could actually become a Christian right now. And he said, really? But don't we need to be in a church? And I said, no. God is everywhere. God's here. God's in the workplace. God's everywhere. You can pray to God any time. Prayer is just talking to God. And he said, oh, okay. Well, I don't know what to pray. I said, I, I could pray for a little bit and then I could lead you in the prayer. Ted could be a bit of a prankster, so I thought I'll test his sincerity. I said, well, why don't we kneel? No one's around. Why, why don't we kneel? So we did. We kind of got down, carpet together, just knelt. And I said something like this. I said, Lord Jesus, thank you for this fantastic conversation we've had today. 
Lord, I want to bring before you Ted. When I said Ted, he just started laughing. <laughs> he just started laughing. I thought, oh, he's just pulling my leg. But he actually wasn't. He actually said, you can't call me Ted. That's my nickname. That's not my real name. You can't call me Ted. He thought I had to be very formal because I was talking to God. Um, well, no, he was sincere. Within a month, he'd given his life to Christ. I caught up with him oh, years later. He was still faithfully attending his church and active in ministry. You see, friends, the reality is there are people in your workplace, if you do share, as unlikely as they might seem, like Ted was, they may well be open to Christ. It took several persuasive conversations with Ted, but he eventually gave his life to Christ. Let me recap on the five points I've made today. How can we be a witness in our workaday environment, missional marketplace evangelism? Five things. One, right attitudes. Two, right actions. Three, right relationships. Four, on-site prayer. And five, on-site persuasion. Live that out and trust that God will open doors for you. You know, in your, whether it's your workplace or whether it's a neighbour, friend, relative, you don't know how much opportunity you've actually got. I remember in my workaday environment, there was occasionally there would be inter- interdepartmental stuff would happen and someone would come across to your department for just a couple of weeks or so. As a girl came across to my apartment, uh, department called, um, uh, actually I won't say her name, uh, a blonde girl, and um, we got talking, had some really good conversations. Some very spiritual ones. And I remember one day she said, great question, she said, well, Lee, how would you define a Christian? How would you define a Christian? Love getting asked that question. I've been asked it a lot, actually. And so I said, first thing that came to mind was a memory verse. I was only been saved for about six months, but I had a few memory verses. I said, well, you know, it says in a book of the Bible, the book of Romans, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And she just smiled and kind of processed that information. And I was thinking, you know, what do I say next? And then all of a sudden she was tapped on the shoulder and she had to go back to her department. Uh, and I was thinking, oh, I wanted to share some more. But anyway, a few days later, uh, I hear about a car accident. Uh, she'd been driving. It's, a, it's a, kind of a nasty corner at an intersection. She was next to a semi-trailer. As she turned the corner, the semi-trailer turned the corner and the back end of the semi-trailer went straight over the top of her car. Killed her. I remember feeling really guilty that I hadn't shared more with her. Did she know enough to give a life to Jesus? See, friends, we just don't know how much longer we have with people. And my heart is that we actually develop a soul of compassion where we really care about the fact that people are headed for a Christless eternity. It's like, it's like we have this antidote. Someone's dying because they've taken poison, but we're like, we're not willing to offer it to them. I had a meeting this week with the Anglican Director of Missional Engagement. We had a coffee together. I was telling her about what we're doing as a church at the moment. 
And she said, see, her job is to go into churches, Anglican churches around Melbourne and help them move beyond giving lip service to the gospel. Because most Christians say, of course, the gospel's very important. We need to share it. But her job is to come in rather churches giving lip service to the gospel to turn them around where they actually become a missional church and they're seeing people saved regularly. When I shared the process with her, she said, that's exactly what I do when I come into church. So what, what is our process? What are we doing? Well, as you know, we've, we've had eight messages looking at a whole variety of approaches to sharing the gospel. But we've done more than that. We've got a book that I know some people are using their personal quiet times and others in small groups where they're further discussing and reflecting on those passages and that's getting in the heart. That's starting to bring transformation. Also, we're deliberately planning a series of outreaches. There are some smaller type of things like the Matthew meal you heard about. We've got a whole bunch of six out, more formal outreaches coming up at the end of this year. And that we're not leaving it there, but there's follow-up from anyone who makes a commitment with the Alpha course where that new believer or not quite yet believer can sit in something where they firmly get grounded with the gospel of Jesus Christ becoming central to who they are. And then we take it beyond that as well. The, the preaching series I'm going to do first term next year is geared up for people who are new to church. You know, that, that, that some of the Christian basics like the assurance of salvation, the assurance of forgiveness, the assurance of God's guidance, uh, the assurance of answered prayer, those sort of topics, foundational things for a new believer. As uh, uh, Julianne Laird said, the um, Anglican Director of Missional Engagement, that's the kind of process she takes her churches through. It's a package. It's hitting at a whole bunch of different levels. To see churches become missional, genuinely missional churches is what Jesus wants. And so, friends, I'm going to finish today. You know, as the worship team returns, I said last week that I'd give an opportunity for people to be prayed for, anointed with oil, that God might release the spiritual gift of evangelism. It says in 1 Corinthians 14, 1, follow the way of love and eagerly desire Gifts of the Spirit. God wants us to eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit. He's willing to impart the gift of evangelism. Are we willing to receive that gift? So as, a, as this song starts, um, I'm going to take the opportunity, with a little bit of oil I've got here, to anoint some people with oil, that that gift might be imparted. And as that song starts, I'm going, I might pick Roxanne out right now because I think she's someone who is exactly that sort of lady. Come forward and I'll pray for you. Let's be upstanding.